The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Now presenting the documentary series, Escaping Twin Flames. From Emmy nominee Cecilia Peck, this three-part documentary series pulls back the veil on Twin Flames universe, a controversial online community that preys on people looking for love. Den of Geek says it tackles one of the more interesting subjects that streaming has in some time. Escaping Twin Flames is available now on Netflix. Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill. Today, I'm speaking with Nisha Pooja about her Academy Award-nominated feature documentary, To Kill a Tiger, which premiered at the 2022 Toronto International Film Festival. Nisha has directed features such as Bollywood Bound, Diamond Road, and The World Before Her. To Kill a Tiger follows the story of Ranjit, whose daughter has been raped by three young men from their rural Indian village. Ranjit, his daughter, and his wife all push back against seemingly unbearable pressure from their fellow villagers who do not want Ranjit and his family to pursue justice within India's court system, but instead to compromise, to make peace with the village by bearing off this young woman to one of her assailants. One note, at the request of the filmmaker and of Ranjit and his family, we will not be using his daughter's name in this interview. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Top Docs Pod. That's all one word, Top Docs Pod. And now, my conversation with Nisha Pahuja about her Oscar-nominated film, To Kill a Tiger. Nisha, welcome to Top Docs. Hi there. Thank you. Your film documents the quest by Ranjit to get justice for his 13-year-old daughter who was raped by three local young men at a wedding party. And just a quick note, we won't be using her name today. Can you tell me how you came to this story? Yeah. So it was a very, in some sense, kind of a really circuitous route because I was making a completely different film. I was actually focused on the work of the local NGO. They were running a gender sensitization program, working with men and boys in 30 villages across the state of Jharkhand. Initially, my idea was to make a film on masculinity. And I was following mm. the work of the NGO and filming these men and boys as they changed and transformed. And Ranjit, the father of the film, was enrolled in one of these gender sensitization programs. And then when this happened, the NGO obviously stepped in to support him and his family. And that's when I began to follow the story. Same NGO that's featured, the Srijan Foundation? Yeah, it's the Srijan Foundation and also an organization called the Center for Health and Social Justice. At, at the time, when I first began filming the story, because I had no idea where it was going to go or how it was going to end and, and whether the family was actually going to pursue justice, for me, it was just, I was literally just following the NGO, doing, you know, doing what they do and advocating. But it was actually in the edit room because we'd filmed for three and a half years. And it wasn't until we got into the edit room and looked at all the material that we had amassed which was Ranjit's storyline and then two other storylines that we realized that actually we needed to just focus on this one story. And all this takes place in Jharkhand, which is in the Mideast part of India towards Bangladesh. And the opening, the opening drone shots are very early on. You have these drone shots and we pull back and we can see like a small cluster of residences surrounded by these rice fields. Sort of seems like it's in the middle of nowhere, but there's these giant power lines as well, transversing the whole space. And almost to me, it was almost a reminder, and it really plays out, it's going to play out, 
of the power of the state, you know, almost literally the power of the state, that there's a whole world out there and it's going to come into contact with this village. Yes, that's very, very interesting, actually. Really, really astute. I hadn't thought about that, but I'll take it. Okay, right. <laughs> it wasn't deliberate. There are just power lines all over, all, all over India. But yes, it was. I think for for me, the point of those sorts of shots, especially the, the last one where it's Ranjit, this kind of small figure, and then we we pull out. That really is to emphasize his ostracization, right? Yeah. And the fact that he is this kind of tiny man trying to taking on a whole system. This is a very personal story about Ranjit, his wife, Jaganti, 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 yep, mm-hmm. Jaganti, yeah, and his daughter. But it's also very much plays out, which seems to be a very deep theme in Indian rural rural life, the interplay and even the direct conflict between traditional village norms and the justice system. And one of the tools that the justice system now has, and the members of the Srijan Foundation, the NGO you spoke of, now have at their disposal is a law that was passed in 2012, I believe called the protection of children from sexual offenses. Can you talk about this law and also about the deeper challenge between these kind of two systems of power and control? After the Delhi gang rape of 2012, which obviously was the the horrific incident of the young woman who was raped and then uh, died from her injuries on a moving bus. bus. After that, and of course, the world took note and India erupted. There was something called the Verma Commission that was formed. And what it did is it looked at existing laws that governed rape in India, and it obviously strengthened them. And out of that emerged something called the POXO Act, which you've talked about, which is the Protection of Children Against Sexual Offenses. And under that act, it's very much that whatever the child says is believed. The onus, the burden of proof rests not so much on the survivor which is how things have changed in India, but actually on those that are accused. So that was the law that was governing this case. Now, the interesting thing about India is the laws around rape, especially after the Delhi gang rape, are quite robust. It's the implementation that is the problem. It isn't, it's not the laws themselves. It's actually ensuring that the laws work. That's the issue. We found that even as we were filming, for example, under Poxo, the case should have been over within six months, but it actually took 13 months. And I'm sure if we weren't there, it would have taken, it would have taken longer. So it's the gap, right? It's, it's the gap between what we hope for and what we're aspiring to and what actually happens. You talked about the implementation and when Ranjit first discovers what happened to his daughter, reaches out to two people. The first is the ward member, and I want to return to this fascinating character in a minute, but the other is the police chief. The Mukia. Yeah. The Mukia. It really seems like the latter has incredible discretion in terms of what he's going to do. He almost completely falls in behind what he perceives as the village norm of let's marry these people off. Let's marry mm-hmm. these kids off. I mean, can you talk about that discretion that he has and sort of his role in this? The Mukia, he's sort of like the, how would we describe him? He would be sort of the the mayor, the governor, like he's in charge of an entire region. The ward member is basically the elected official from the village who represents the village. And then the Mukia is a more central figure and he has power over the entire region. Interestingly enough, the Mukia, just before this happened to Ranjit's daughter, a few months prior, there was another sexual assault in a different village and he had managed to get that thrown out of Basically, he, he managed to get the family to not press charges. So he has a tremendous amount of power. And interestingly enough, the night that it happened, it was the ward member 
who called Ranjit, you know, called the ward member and the ward member said, do not go to the Mukia. Do not mm. go to the police. Because if you go to the Mukia, he will get you to drop the case. You were saying that Ranjit and his family really become outcasts after this incident, partly because of what happened to their daughter and partly because of their reaction. They say, we're going to press charges. And it seems like everyone in the village, many people in the village seem to value a quote unquote peaceful end to this. They, they, there's a rift in the village and they want to reach a compromise. And it sounds like they're using the English word compromise to have, you know, like, let's have Ranjit's daughter marry one of her assailants. Can you explain just the incredible pressure on Ranjit and his family? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was extraordinary, right? The thing is, those villages, the communities, the way India works and the way those communities work, those are ecosystems and those are bonds and they're really deep and they have to do with survival on many different levels. So it's not just emotional or familial or community, but also even your actual physical survival. So if Ranjit doesn't, if, if his crops fail when you're, for example, he's able to go to the community and get loans or his family will be fed, his family won't starve because of those bonds of community. So for him to go against that was in a way literally putting his very survival, and we saw it like playing itself out in the film, but just it's a, it was a very courageous, brave step that he and his wife, you know, and his daughter took, right? I want to talk more about the ward member. Yeah, Mutalik. He's a fascinating character on his own and, and in his relationship to Ranjit and, and the village. And you can see why the village shows him. He's naturally charismatic. He wears these designer sunglasses. He has his jaunty manner. He drinks Aquafina in the local market. And he does really seem to care about the village, but he says something which is very painful, which is he says that Ranjit must understand that the village is more important than any one individual, meaning Ranjit and his daughter. Like that, it's more important. Can you talk about what he's trying to negotiate? Yeah, it is about, as we discussed, right? It is about the community. It is about the importance of the collective of, over the importance of the, the individual. When you're in those situations, the collective supersedes, the interests of the collective supersede the interest of the individual. And obviously that's the problem. That's the fundamental issue here. Now with him as well, he, he was put in a position where he wanted peace. He really did. He wanted peace again. He wanted to heal the rifts. And I think the entire village actually probably felt a great sense of shame in terms of this. Everyone knew it was wrong. Nobody felt that what the boys had done was the right thing to do. They all knew it was wrong. They just didn't want that shame and that dishonor to be made public. And the ward member felt the same. It looked bad on him. So he was navigating that. I love what he says at the end. He says, they were all children from my village. So of course, of course I feel bad. And yeah. it's true. He really did care. He's a very interesting, <laughs> complicated person, Indeed. right? Ajit seems to have a lot of faith in him. Uh, and I, I'm doubting it all the way along because he's constantly pushing back around Ranjit. I'm not at your beck and call. I've got nothing to gain by testifying, he says. He even insults Ranjit to his face. I'm not a loser yeah. like you. Mm -hmm. Ranjit says no, tells his legal he's not going to lie. He's not going to get up there and stand and lie. And he's right. It turns out he does yeah. tell on the stand, despite the fact it's going to cost him back home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To me, that says two things. It says that the ward member is fundamentally a decent human being, which I always sensed. It also says how smart Ranjit is. You know, it also right. about how 
emotionally intelligent and how wise he is and how much he can see through the ward member and his posturing, right? He knew in the end that he was going to do, he was going to do the right thing. And that was for me something that I found so interesting about Ranjit was that everyone underestimated him throughout, you know, I mean, the system underestimated him, the villagers underestimated him, the NGO also underestimated him. I myself underestimated him. You know, I worried about his motivation and what he was doing and whether he was going to be able to pull it off. The only person who didn't underestimate him, the only person who truly understood how intelligent he was, was Mahindraji, the older activist. There's that scene mm. of, of him speaking to an older man in the woods, Mahindraji. He was the only person who, didn't, who knew that Ranjit was extremely intelligent and going about this in a way that was very, very smart. As you said, it seems that despite the new laws, a lot of the impetus of the case still falls on Ranjit. His legal advocates can only do so much. The prosecutor has four or 500 cases he's working on. It's a huge burden too, because Ranjit lives far away. The whole process seems very time consuming. So mm -hmm. it really gets fall on him to a great extent to round people up and bring them to court. Yeah, absolutely. It was all on him. It was such a huge, a huge burden. And to deal with that and to deal with being disrespected and to deal with, you know, failure of the crops and the sort of mounting debt, it was, it was a huge, huge undertaking. I think some of the most interesting scenes are where members of the foundation visit the village and try to speak to the villagers. And at, the, at times it seems to me, to my eyes at least, and I'm not familiar, but it seems like a mismatch. You know, sometimes the foundation members arrive in cars. Unlike the village women, they often wear non-traditional clothes or Western looking clothes to my eye. And at times they use terms, just the way to speak to them. They're like, you know, one woman says, don't have the typical village mentality. I think she even uses the English word typical at that moment. Is this effective? Do you feel like they're being effective in their approach? I felt like, oh, I felt a lot of pain in those scenes. Yeah. Did I feel that they were being effective? As a Westerner, I not always. No, I, I, I didn't. As, as a Westerner, I didn't feel that. But it must be working because the grassroots activism in India is a really, really necessary reality. And it's really effective in terms of making change. And I've seen Mahindraji and I've seen, I've seen the impact that he has had on men and, mm -hmm. and men change. I've seen it. So for me, sometimes it kind of makes me cringe, but I don't, I can't judge that. I can't judge it. It made me a little bit anxious. I, I don't know. I felt that it would have been a bit more positive had they engaged in a way that invited dialogue and conversation. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Passions run high. Often, as we said, you're filming when one of the activists is speaking to the men or to the women, but it seems there's some scenes where it's you, I think it's you actually filming a group of men and a group of women. And it's interesting during the course of this, they often turn the question back to you, either directly or indirectly. You know, why do you, what's your opinion about this? What do you think? And I'm wondering, do you think they actually, are they looking for your opinion or are they trying to see what side you're on? Why are they asking you this question? What did you feel in those moments? Both. I felt that they were judging me. I felt that they were gauging. They were wanting to know what my position was. And I think they genuinely were curious about what I felt and what I thought. And I think the reason they were genuinely curious is because they understood that it was wrong. They knew that it was wrong. I think also like that scene in particular that I think you're probably talking about is when we're speaking to that group of village men and the ward member is saying, 
I've told Ranjit many times, there's no greater law than the law of the community. Obviously, we can't show the entire, all of that footage, right? It's like two hour conversation. But there is a dialogue that's taking place. There was space for conversation there. So I think they were also genuinely curious as to what I thought, what my opinion was. Another interesting thing I think happens in the scene where you're talking to the women, many of them seem like they really don't want to talk too much, maybe to you, maybe on camera. But one older woman really pushes back and she says, you know, marriage is the way out of this. How can that be wrong? She says, there's three men accused, three young men accused, but really there's only one did the crime. He's the one who should marry her. And you say, basically, you know, that's not true. And right. it documentary is all about the truth and revealing the truth. And the truth isn't the only concern for her. She knows it's not true, but it's there's something bigger than the truth for her there, I think. Yes, for, for sure. Just I'll just clarify one thing. So that in that scene, that's not me having a conversation. It's actually the, yeah, it's the NGO activist that's having the conversation with her. But I think, you know, for her, it is a kind of truth. Do you know what I mean? Because truth is also, it also exists on different levels, right? There's, you know, the, the truth of plot and the truth of something that actually did happen. And then there's a larger truth and a larger kind of reality. And, and for her, that's what she is balancing. Do you serve the larger truth, which for her is shame and honor and the importance of maintaining family honor and the importance of marrying her because now she, who's going to marry her now? You know, for her, she felt that this was the answer for the survivor herself. This was the right yeah. thing to do for the survivor. That's the truth that she was, for her, is more important than the actual reality of, of what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And Mutali actually, I think, echoes this a little bit where he says, yeah, I understand. I told the truth. Yeah, I told the whole truth. I'm not sure I did the right thing. Yes. Yes. And then he also says, which is one of the most haunting lines for me, which is, you want to punish them? Go ahead and hang them. But that stain is never going to be removed. There's a scene towards the end where there's a gathering at Ranjit's house and some men and then some women come in and they're outside the door and they're really putting a lot of pressure on everyone. And it sounds like the NGO sort of makes this decision like, we can't go back and film anymore. We still need to visit, but we can't go back and film anymore. And also, let's get Ranjit's daughter out of there. Let's have her stay with the crew. Can you talk about, it's sort of an interesting spot where the kind of documentary process closes down and the one of the major subjects joins you. Like you talk about how the nature of the documentary changes at that point. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. Just making, telling this story, like being part of this story was really interesting because it became very clear to us, I would say pretty early on in the process that we were part of the story. We were becoming a part of the story and we filmed a lot more footage that was around that. We could have made a film just about the relationship between the crew and the family and that whole kind of dynamic, like we could have drawn a lot more attention to it because it was such a part of making this film is the fact that we were becoming part of the story. I think that was just a reality and it was something that I felt we needed to address in the film itself. We could have easily, in a way, just cut out those scenes, you know, where the community comes in and, and starts to threaten the crew. And then the subsequent scene where I tell the NGO what's going on, we could have easily cut those scenes out. But it was really important to keep them in because that's really what was happening. It adds a whole layer of complexity just to the act of filmmaking and to the idea of documenting something and your role in affecting the reality of something. So it's a, it's a very interesting kind of meta sort of exercise in, in a way. At the end, it seems like 
Ranjit's daughter's testimony becomes really important. We hear her rehearse it with her father, who again tells her to speak directly and correctly. It's interesting, again, he drops into English a little bit there. And then we hear it again later. And I couldn't tell if it was actually a recording from the court, which we had never got before, or it was separate. Can you tell me what we yeah. were hearing there? So it was actually that right before she went in to testify, she reviewed with the PP. He asked her a couple of questions and that's what it was. We recorded that and that's what we used. That's the conversation because we were never allowed inside the courtroom. I'm going to leave what happens in the final 20 minutes of the court to the viewer to watch. This is a very, very powerful film and this is a very, very powerful finish. I do want to talk about the end. We see scenes of Ranjit and his family at a kind of a carnival, like on a, on a Ferris wheel and uh, on rides. And we hear Ranjit talking about his hopes for his children. I couldn't but hear a broader, like, hopes for India in this. Is this a hopeful finish, do you think, for the film? Oh, yeah. oh my God, absolutely. It is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you Ranjit is, he's so poetic. He just has so much poetry in him. And when he found out about the nomination, what he said was it's so beautiful. He said, I don't really know what the Oscars are, but I've heard they're a big deal. And yeah. it's clear that if we've gotten to this stage, if we've gotten to the stage, which is the biggest stage in the world, that our story is resonating for people. Our story of justice and struggle is resonating for people. And this is about casting light into darkness. And then he said that he wanted to thank his daughter because it was because of her courage that he had the courage to to carry this through to the end. Yeah, so, well, incredibly yeah. courageous. And, you know, Ranji's daughter says, whatever you do with an honest heart, it always turns out good. And I hope that's yeah. the case. And obviously, you've done this film with an honest heart. You created this film with an honest heart. And it's an incredibly powerful film. Congratulations on the nomination. It's very well deserved. Thank you so much. Top Docs is a production of Wooly Media. This episode was produced by Ken Jacobson and Mike Merrill and edited by Mike.